We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app welcome back everyone oh my goodness it is 808 here at wcco and of course i am so curious about a brand new book you may have heard about This new book is entitled, His Name is George Floyd, One Man's Life and the Struggle for Racial Justice. Now, the authors are Robert Samuels and Toulouse Olorunipu, and uh, they are joining us tonight on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline to hear about uh, or to tell us more about the journey of writing this book. Welcome, Robert, um, as well as Toulouse. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having us. All right, Toulouse, did I get your last name? Yeah, did I get your last name right? Uh, It's close. The last syllable is uh, with an A, so it's Olorunipa. Ah, thank you so much. Oloro, I'll get it right, I promise, before the end of this interview. (laughs) I am very excited to have you guys join us because we know that um, with this book coming out, there's going to be a whole nother interest all over again in what uh, transpired on May 25th of 2020. Tell me about the journey for both of you uh, in writing this book, because I assume it was truly a, a journey. Let's start with you, Robert. Well, we started in the summer of 2020, a little bit after George Floyd was murdered. And it started with a project. We just wanted to figure out George Floyd's life and connect it to the larger themes of systemic racism. So I spent a lot of time in Minneapolis and I told people that I didn't want to hear about his death so much as I wanted to hear about his life because I wanted to understand his soul and who he was with the hope that if we understood who George Floyd was and how he was treated throughout his life, we might get a better understanding of who we are as a society and how we could build a better life. Toulouse, do you feel the same? Uh, Totally, yes. We we embarked on this project alongside uh, a number of our colleagues. The Washington Post really invested quite a bit in trying to make sure we got this story right, not only George Floyd's story in Houston, where he grew up, but also his experience in Minneapolis. And we had reporters on the ground covering the protests, covering uh, Floyd's own experience over the last three years of his life when he was in Minneapolis and really digging deep. Robert was a big part of that, uh, talking to a lot of people who were close to Floyd, from the Salvation Army to the people he spent time with at our turning point, the rehab uh mission and program that he was a part of. And, you know, in talking with so many people, it was really important for us to understand Floyd's soul, his essence, his ambitions, and also the systems that he tried to navigate, both from the beginning of his life to the final moments and months of his life, 
where he was uh, struggling and trying to figure out how to make it through the pandemic. Yeah, and you write about that in the book. And I'm just curious to know, um, how did you begin to voice what happened to George Floyd on that fateful day? Here's the thing. We heard so many stories initially, what was happening, even though we were watching it, right? We were watching those nine minutes and what was it, 29 seconds. And it was really quite remarkable that the words that people would say, they would say, oh, he died. Okay, we could say that he died, but can we just tell the truth and say he was murdered? So tell me um, how difficult that was for you to deal with, or was it not a challenge at all? Well, we're I mean, it journalists was... and... Go for it, Tony. I'll jump in there. And just, uh, we're, we're super eager both to talk about this, so sometimes we do that. But we're, um, we're journalists, and our commitment is to the truth, is to empathy, is to accuracy, is to telling the full story. And we knew we needed to tell... George Floyd's full story, including those final moments of his life, which uh, happened to be the, 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 the time when he was murdered by the Minneapolis Police Department um, in the form of Derek Chauvin. And we, it was important for us to show that Derek Chauvin was operating within a system himself. Yes, he was an officer that has now been convicted of murdering someone, but he had learned the skills and the tactics that he used within his police department. And it was not uncommon for him, for someone with a badge like he had to use the tactics that he used. And he had been trained in some of those tactics, even though uh, later it was found that he had used them abusively. Uh, So we wanted to make sure we we included the full context and show that there are other people who are also uh, suffering and who have struggled because of the way uh, the police department that trained Derek Chauvin has behaved in in, uh, that part of the the community. Um, And it was important for us to show that Floyd's death was was heinous, but it also stems from uh, a broader training and a broader effort by the police department that also needed to be scrutinized. Many in the black community have made comments about uh, George Floyd uh, having um, this life of struggle, um, but also that he struggled for racial justice. Tell me what you've learned about those two. That seems like a dichotomy to me, but tell me what you've learned. Well, George Floyd came to Minneapolis because he wanted to build a better life for himself. He knew that where he was in Houston, Texas, there was very little chance for him to get a job because of his criminal record. And there was a little, very little chance for him to receive rehabilitation services because he could not secure insurance. And what he found in Minneapolis was a community that largely supported him. Uh, you know, his friends from his friends from Minnesota, the people who met at the Salvation Army. Uh, but the other truth about it was that those struggles came in with the struggles of being a black man living in the United States. We have a we spoke with Valerie Castile, uh, Philando Castile's mother, in mm-hmm. the course of recording this story. And she told me about meeting George Floyd at an event for the homeless and how he hugged her and how he put so much love on her. And when you talk to friends who had known Floyd at that time, uh, they'd say how much Philando Castile's death haunted him and how much it made him fear the police, much like he did in Houston. And so he was struggling with this, but he also maintained a spirit of optimism about himself that somehow he'd be able to overcome and get past all those struggles. And I think you see that spirit 
uh, after he was murdered with so many of the people in Minneapolis who had taken up his cause and had wanted the world to know that it's not George Floyd. There had been so many people who had been killed by the police under dubious practices. You know, one of the things we've talked about many times here on WCCO Radio is that um, so many black mothers and black fathers um, have that conversation with their children. You know, when you walk out and you see a police officer, don't do this, don't do that. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard about that. And I remember, uh, I believe it was George Floyd's brother was on the stand talking about, you know, we had that conversation. We knew they taught their children that conversation. Um, was any of that included in the book as well? Yes, we take readers back to the 1980s in Houston, Texas, where George Floyd is living in the CUNY Homes housing projects with his brothers and with his mother, who tried to train her children, including Floyd, in the experience of being a black boy in America. She said, you were born with two strikes because of who you are, and because of how you were born, and the world is going to look at you that way the police are going to look at you that way. You're going to be scrutinized. You can't make any mistakes because if you do, they will be amplified, they will be seized upon, and you will have to figure out how to get yourself out of it on your own. You won't have grace. Uh, And she was very blatant and blunt in telling her children uh, that they need to to fly right because anything that they did wrong would be seized upon. They wouldn't get second chances very often. Uh, So that was a a common refrain and a common understanding that Floyd got growing up, in part because her mother knew, having grown up in the sharecropping South and during the era of Jim Crow, that it would be a very regretful thing if any of her children fell into the the grasp of of a system um, that didn't care for people that looked like them. And that was something that George Floyd knew very intimately, and that's why he was so afraid of the police. You know, um, he not only was he afraid, but the, he also knew certain tactics to use. Um, we realized that he was talking to Chauvin a lot, you know, saying, please, please, I cannot breathe. You know, please, uh, can you just let me up? Or, you know, there were certain things that he was saying. And I'm just wondering, did you have to recount everything that you knew about this death, about this murder um, of George Floyd? And if so, was it difficult to figure out where to put it? <laughs> because it's one of those stories we will never forget. I don't think the great state of Minnesota or the rest of the world will forget George Floyd and what happened on that day. So tell me what that was like trying to pull those pieces together in the book. Well, not only did we have to watch the video countless numbers of times, which I know, you know, is very hard, but we also wanted to make sure that people had the proper perspective and a deepened understanding of what they were seeing. So we didn't just watch the video. We went and we talked to some eyewitnesses who were there. You know, we spoke with the people who came to Cup Foods with George Floyd because we had questions about why he was there that day. We, no one really knew. And so when you see that in the book, we and we also, sorry to go back, we also did a look at the history of the use of that technique, what's called the maximum restraint technique, maximal restraint technique, so that readers have a deeper understanding of the injustice that was done that day and the impact that it had on people. But we also wanted readers to know, and I think this is really important, that the battle for George Floyd to breathe 
started long before he had ever met Derek Chauvin. And that battle started centuries ago when land was stolen from his ancestors before they could make one intergenerational transfer for wealth. That, that struggle started happening in the school system that was crumbling because people left, white people left that school system because they didn't want their kids intermingling with black kids. And the school system that told them, focus on sports instead of focusing on calculus. That system is the same system that when George Floyd was broken, did not have the research or the interest in funding the research to create tools that could help heal specifically a black man like him. And so what we want readers to go through and what we really want them to see is that if you are concerned about the murder of George Floyd, you also should pay attention to the lives of black boys and black girls who are still having those same struggles that George Floyd had. I am terrified for my grandchildren. You know, I have one grandson and two granddaughters, and I'm absolutely terrified for their future. And at the same time, I'm still willing to fight. You know, I keep saying to myself, it doesn't matter what you're feeling, Gerilyn. Just let it go and fight. Uh, and that's not an easy thing uh, for me to do, but I have to do it. Um, you guys were mentioned in um, a Washington Post article, and it talks about um, – this moving portrait of George Floyd and his struggles and his legacy. And of course, we all remember, and I think we do, um, that, you know, getting to know his six-year-old daughter, Gianna, uh, whose mother was a former girlfriend from Houston named Roxy Daniel Washington, I believe. And it's interesting, at the end of this quote in this article, and it talks about the two of you as well, it says, you know, she proudly said, my daddy changed the world. Do you believe that he changed the world? And if so, how long do you think that change will last? The world is definitely different now than it was on May 25th, 2020, before George Floyd encountered Derek Chauvin. Now it's different in a number of different ways, but I do think that the conversation that we're even having this evening about things like systemic racism, institutional barriers, there are more people willing to acknowledge that conversation than there, than there were before Floyd died. And there's an understanding that a lot of the things that black people have talked about for years actually are true. Those things have happened. And I think Floyd's death made that reality real for a lot of people who were not willing to acknowledge that before. Now, we've also seen a backlash. We have seen people upset at the fact that these conversations are happening and that these things are being taught in schools and the country's full history is now being acknowledged. And that is also part of the legacy of what happens in America, where progress happens in fits and starts. You have backlash. You have things like what happened in Buffalo. And so the world is changed. It has moved, it has shifted, but it's an ongoing living history that we're going through and we're all experiencing it and trying to go through it together. We don't have too much time left, but I do want to address some of the talking points from the book. I know that the two of you had access to the private records of George Floyd, including his previously unreported diary entries, rap lyrics, poems, text messages, cell phone videos, love letters, and more. Gathering all of that information, what part of George Floyd became different to you in your sight, in your understanding of who he was? I'll say two quick things. The first thing is that 
George Floyd was an introspective person. He thought about his position in life. He thought about things he could do differently so he could help have a better future, not just for himself, but for the rest of his family. The second thing that came out, Geraldine, is his incredible persistence that even though he had grown up in a system that was unfair, and even though he had made some mistakes, which he acknowledged, he never stopped believing that in this country, a brighter future could be ahead for him and for others, others around him. And I think that is the spirit in which people started to take up his cause. Um, whether or not they knew him. But I hope that readers, you know, don't just simply take away the tragedy of it all and the persistent force of systemic racism in the country. When we, when folks engage with the book, I hope they also see the beauty and the persistence of the Black experience in this country. Mm. If there was one last thing, Toulouse, you would want people to know and really pay attention to in the book, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be the fact that George Floyd spent so much time really trying and really, as Robert said, believing in the American experience. He didn't give up on this country. His family didn't give up on this country even after they had their land seized and taken away from them. And there were so many forms of injustice that they faced. And I think that is part of the Black experience. It's part of what you talked about when you talked about how you fear for your grandchildren, but you still get up and fight every day to make sure that this country is a better place. That's something that we wanted people to take away from this book. We titled the final chapter of the book, American Hope, because that is what is powering the dreams and the persistence of black Americans across the country. If we didn't have that level of hope, we would not have been able to maintain our our level of persistence in this country. So I hope people will pick up the book and not think of it as just an exercise in black pain, but also know that it's a symbol of the black perseverance that has powered this country for generations. Is the book out right now available to everyone? Absolutely. Uh, It's in bookstores everywhere. The title of the book is His Name is George Floyd, One Man's Life and the Struggle for Racial Justice. Authors Robert Samuels and Toulouse Olorouni. Olorunipa, forgive me, um, joined us tonight on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. I am so grateful that both of you joined us tonight. I will have difficulty um, sleeping tonight, but I am so grateful that I had a chance to learn what you learned about George Floyd. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. All right, take care. My goodness. As we hear about all of this, we will hear so much more by Wednesday. Wednesday is the 25th, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, as we start to hear it, some people will say, oh, God, I don't want to hear about that anymore. Those are the people I'll be praying for because we need to hear about this because so much more is happening around the world. So what we're going through, what they're going through, eventually we're going to realize that there is a connection between all of us. And maybe that will be the thing to help us really get to the point and change the way things already are. You've been listening to Still Talking, of course, in this half hour, and I'm so looking forward to coming back with you at 830. So stay tuned. We'll be back. Welcome back, everyone. It is now 830. You are listening to Still Talking. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. And I tell you, um, learning a lot about this new book, and I really want to encourage you to get the book and 
you know, if you're not even interested in really reading it, please just try it. It's called His Name is George Floyd, One Man's Life and the Struggle for Racial Justice. And what's really interesting, it says throughout the book, Samuel's in a, 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 a lupina, I, I say it correct, uh, incorrectly, Return to Olo, Floyd's Olo dream Runeepa. of getting Olo Runeepa. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Return to Floyd's dream of getting his act together enough to gain custody of his child. So it's touching to hear that when President Biden met Gianna in the heady days after her father's death, she told him proudly, as you heard me read earlier, my daddy changed the world. That is remarkable in itself. That's what makes me want to read this book. I want to know, you know, what that relationship was like. I want to hear more about it. Um, She was beautiful. I remember her uh, speaking so eloquently, so strongly about her her father. Really quite remarkable. Also, there are talking points that you can um, probably pick up online from the authors of things that they learned and, and what they decided to do with those with that information. Uh, there were moments when various people learned of George Floyd's death, including Floyd's siblings and cousin. Really just... And the woman who... I still want to say to that young woman, very young, who stood there, Jonathan, and filmed that whole thing without hesitation. It just... It was remarkable. Wow, I'm so grateful for that. All right, just want to remind you that the weather is coming up next. And, of course, in the last half hour of this big segment, uh, we're going to talk about what it means uh, to have gratitude or how are we teaching children about gratitude. But also I want to talk about how a lot of the American hospitals are dealing with this whole uh, idea that, you know, the the drug supply is – in trouble because the generic ones, they don't want to make it anymore because they're not making enough money. What the heck is that about? We'll be back. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is now 839 here at WCCO. Welcome back. I love this song. Love it. <laughs> that is Mavis Staples and the Steels are singing background. My siblings and I, oh my gosh, those were some great days, that's for sure. And Mavis is still doing it, still getting it done. But she toured with Prince for a while. I have to tell you, um, I talked to my grandchildren as well as some other you know, school children um, that I happen to know and the, well, their parents, I know, and it's really quite remarkable what is happening when it comes to being thankful or the gratitude that we see in children. I remember how that was very prevalent. Um, um, learning what gratitude was all about was very real in our household growing up in Gary, Indiana. And, um, decades ago, uh, I can still, hear my parents saying that you have to be grateful for everything that you have. And and even the things that you don't have, you have to just say, 
maybe it will one day come to fruition or maybe it will one day do this. I don't know, but my parents made it very clear to us that you have to be thankful for what you have. If you have a bed to sleep in, be thankful. If you have food in the refrigerator and on the stove, be grateful, be thankful for it. If you have people in the neighborhood that can help you, that are willing to move and do whatever they can um, within your own space, whether it's you know mowing the lawn and that sort of thing, they would come and do that after my father was killed by a drunk driver. And so we were taught about gratitude, being grateful, even though we lost him. My mother lost the man that she has loved so deeply. I lost a father and so did my siblings. And so we were taught, not only did our father teach us and our mother and father together, but my mother, after he died, she kept going. She kept telling us, be grateful. You have to be grateful for, for what you have. And I have taught my children that. I'm so grateful that they get it, that they understand it. But here's the thing. I cannot tell you how many times I have encountered young people. Uh, and when I say young people, I'm talking 13 and under, really, that don't necessarily know how to answer that question. Are you grateful? Do you know what it means to be grateful? So in today's setting, a lot of times we give children everything that they want and need. Now, giving them what they need is a whole nother situation. I don't even know, you know, how children receive that. If they really understand how difficult it is for some parents to really get them what they need. And I am talking about the essentials, you know, clothing, coats and, and hats and gloves and boots and that sort of thing in the winter and fall rain, you name it. You, we have to teach them how to be grateful for that. And there are children who just think, look, you know, not that their parents have a money tree, but they just expect them to give them everything that they want, not just what they need. That's a problem. If we don't teach what we've been taught before, right? If we don't move that along in our own lives as we become adults and we start to have a family, if we don't make sure that those children understand what gratitude is, then what is the point? And of course, I want to hear from you. You can give us a text at 651-461-9226. Again, that's 651-461-9226. The bottom line is that we don't talk about it enough. They don't talk about it enough in school. You know, you don't hear a lot of the children, um, at least my grandchildren and other people that I know that have children, they don't necessarily hear all the time about being grateful. And it's so important that we share it and move it along, make sure that they get it. That's not one of the things we should drop by the wayside and just go, oh, yeah, 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 that thing, that thing called being thankful and being grateful. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. No, no, we should take the time to do that. It's the same thing with losing who we are, right, in the sense of of making sure that our children know some of the events that has happened in this country, that they know the truth, right? You go to your grandparents and your great grandparents and you, you find out all this information of what they've lived through in the, in the 1930s and 1940s. Listen to their stories, pass it along so that you know and understand, oh yeah, okay, this really did happen. We actually have proof of some of this, right? On camera and in radio interviews, you name it. So as we think about it today, you know, Easter has passed and so many other celebrations have passed, but do we take the time at least once a week to say, I am so thankful or so grateful for what I have? It may not seem like a lot, a lot to you, but my goodness, it's a lot to me. Our children have got to get it, parents. We have got to instill it in them. 
because they expect so much. How many times do we do a birthday party and we go way beyond what it, what it could be? Birthday parties for me, Jonathan, was just simply a cake. And I was lucky, really blessed to get that cake. And it was homemade. We didn't go out to some bakery and get the cake. Mom made the cake. We all stood around, said a prayer over the cake. Candles were lit, if you're lucky. And the cake was amazing. Sometimes it was ice cream. My mom would make ice cream sometimes, right? But gratitude, being thankful, this is huge. It's big. And if we keep saying that to not just our own families, our own children, and start really sharing that with our friends and their children and their family, I really do believe that it can make a difference. Okay, enough about that. And if you'd like to text us, 651-461-9226. What are the ways that you're teaching your children, your, your stepchildren, your grandchildren, friends of, of yours, their children? How are you talking to them about gratitude? And are they getting it? All right, that's one thing. Number two, did you guys hear that once again, this whole problem with generic drugs is on the rise again. It was mentioned in the news right here at WCCO. And the bottom line is that a lot of those companies that make the generic medicines, you know, when you have to pay a fortune for it and then so many years go by and you get a chance to pay that generic price. You know, some people are paying $1.25 for, you know, medicines that they absolutely have. $1.25. But these companies have come forward recently, right? <laughs> Just heard about it today, been reading about it. And they come forward and they say, hey, you know what? We're not going to make those generic drugs anymore because we're not making enough money. <laughs> it's like, who in the world are these people? And again, you can give us that call at 651-461-9226. Let's go over to... Gene from Maplewood. Hey, is this the Gene that I know? It's, it's the Gene and the Judy Show. Yeah, <laughs> the Gene and Judy Show. What's up, girl? How you doing? I went fine. Now I, I don't have any children. I just have cats. But Judy had a has um three kids. One of her children, her youngest, um they they all went to CDH and um and J Jessica took a course and it talked about wants and needs, and mm. boy, she instilled in me her old aunt. What I what what do you need and you want? And I've used that so many times about okay. Now sometimes I I wanted something to get it anyway. But you know I've done so much like okay. Do you really need that, Gene? No, you really don't need that. And it's like hey, I don't need that. And you know we grew up with just like you, Grandma Anderson. She usually made her most. We called it the sunshine cake. It was a double. It looked like a. Uh, what you call an angel food cake, but it, but it was, oh, it was so good. Or my mom made a homemade cake. You know, we didn't have a lot of, we were like middle class, but like, you know, middle class, not not wealthy at all. And, you know, we enjoyed what we got for something for Christmas. or We didn't get a lot of stuff. You know, we just didn't. And kids do a lot. They don't understand what, huh, what, what is a transistor radio or what is it? <laughs> so, you know, we, the kids just think they, they just expect it. Not, not all kids. Not all kids. I know that. It, it, that's not all kids. But, you know, I love your show, and I'm listening to it now because, you know, what can I do? I have to. So um, just just talk on, lady. Just talk on. You're, you're talking to the – you're preaching to the choir, honey. You're preaching to the choir. There you go. Oh, it's so good to hear you. And tell your sister I, I said hello, would you? 
I will. All right, take care. All right, so the phone lines are open for you at 651-461-9226. So again, you can send a text to that number or you can give us a call just like Jean did. It's so good to hear from her. Um, What's remarkable is that a lot of children do expect it, and that's our fault as parents. I don't care if we're parents or grandparents. You know, grandparents, we get to buy whatever we want to buy for the children and walk away, usually. But at the same time, if you don't hear your children going, thank you so much, Oh, I'm so grateful for this. If you're not hearing that, then there's time for a change. I really do believe it. It's time for a change. We don't need to spoil them. I know I wasn't spoiled. Let me tell you something. I had where I had to wear dresses in third grade every day at school. And I'm not talking about a uniform. And these dresses were below my knee. Oh man. I didn't feel cute at all. <laughs> Just saying. All my little friends in elementary school, they were putting on those, remember those go-go boots with the fringes on them and the little skirts that came way above, way too high above the knee for these young girls. And they have on their cowboy hat and the fringe vest. And I just like, mom, I really want that. She was like, honey, you're never going to get that. Mm -mm, That's not what we do. (laughs) Hard days, y'all hard days, but we don't have to give them everything. What we have to do is give them an understanding of what gratitude is. That's the key. Jonathan, how did you ever have to deal with gratitude? Did your parents sit you down and talk to you about it? Did your teachers talk to you about it? How did that work out? I never remember being taught that in class, but it was a constant thing in in the home, not just with my parents, but with my grandparents as well. Wow. See, there you go. There you go. That's what needs to happen. It's a, it's a family thing, right? Outside of the, the nucleus. Yeah, get out there to your aunts and uncles and talk to them about it. It's so true, Jonathan. Now, I know we need to take a break, but if you are going to send a text in, please do at 651-461-9226. We'll be back in a moment. It is now 8.56 here at WCCO. Welcome back. And as we have this little short uh, talk time, let me tell you, it's just been a pleasure being here with you. And of course, coming up next... Is uh, all things arts and entertainment. We just believe you ought to know about it. There is so much going on in the Twin Cities. Artists are performing. Artists that do uh, paintings and sculptures and so much more are doing their work. And um, we're starting to see more of these opening up. And I am just so excited. For those of you who answered my call uh, when I asked on Facebook, hey, should the Steels do a Christmas show this year? Thank you so much of all of the input that you gave. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It has been a pleasure listening to you and finding out what you feel about it. So many of you said, oh, by the way, Jarlin, you know, Christmas doesn't start or the season doesn't start until the Steels are on the stage. And I I cried tears uh, just reading that over and over again. So thank you for answering that that. Um, ask that that question that I put out there on Facebook. And boy, did we get a lot of responses on that. It has been a pleasure to be with you until this moment, this time. And of course, next hour, right into the nine o'clock hour, we are going to do all things arts and entertainment. Center stage is what it's called. Stay tuned. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 